Hello, everybody. Good afternoon. This is Dr. Farnan. This is Dr. Lanier. From Cutting Edge Foot and Ankle, and you're listening to another wonderful and amazing episode of Med Nation Podcast, the show that involves two podiatrists having conversations with industry experts for people who love to learn about everything and anything from head to toe. Today, we invited Dr. Shar, a counseling psychology specialist, to our podcast. Um, Dr. Shaw, welcome to our Med Nation. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate being here. Okay, before we start, can you tell our audience about yourself? Well, I treat people with diabetes that have distress, anxiety around the diagnosis and around their lifestyle. But long before I knew I could do that and make that my specialty and make that my special interest, I just still have a private practice where I just see one-on-one and people call their insurance companies to see if I'm a provider and whatever their need is, I go for it and try to help. I like that. So you've been doing this for some time? Oh, a long time. Long time. About 30 years. Oh, wow. That, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good time. When do you plan to retire? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, my husband had become ill many, I guess 12 years, I was going to say many, many years ago, but I guess about 12 years. He said one day, well, we we quit his long-term position there and I just transferred my licensure here and, and we were going to come here and live out our days near our son. And uh, he said, well, does it look like I'm going to die? So if I'm not going to die, I might as well live. And so that's what we've been doing. We just work just as much as we ever did. We just do what we like. And we're just old enough not to care to, uh, if nobody likes it, if we don't do anything more than that. Yeah, that's the way to do it. Um, So I want to ask you, what's the difference between mental health and mental illness? So when I think about that, I think mental health is something that, uh, you know, you're affected by your environment. It's caused by uh, bringing trauma from childhood and mental illness is the gene, gene pool. But I'm sure that is not probably correct. But when, when I think about this question, that's what comes to my head. So let me ask you, what's the difference between mental health and mental illness? Mental health is what we start with. Mental, we confuse it with mental illness a lot of times. And when we, I think that's why we were so many years getting it easy to, for a doctor such as yourself to refer to me because we didn't want people to think, actually I've had doctors say that to me as the years have passed. We don't want people to think that we think they're crazy or that something's wrong with them. So we confuse the terms mental health and mental illness. If mental health is mentioned, if you'll think about it for a second, most people see it as mental illness until recent years. But mental health is the joy, the vitality, the happiness, the the living life. Uh, It's just like a body living with no foot problems. It's healthy, right? That's health. That's what mental health is. It's um, foot health is without problems. And that's what mental health is for the mind and and the brain. Mental illness is once we've um, been inundated with problems, something that we can't solve ourselves or something that we believe can't be solved. 
there's the difference in my opinion. Hmm. That's interesting. You know, mental health, I feel there's been a, and I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, and I don't know statistics by any means and you probably do, but the, the resurgence and surgence of social media and social media norms and trying to keep up with the Joneses and trying to keep up with the social media, I feel like mental health and mental illness surged into an area where it makes it difficult for a lot of these young folks. And I feel like it's becoming a, you know, a disease and disorder for the young. Is that true? Or would you agree with that? Well, yes, it's getting, I, um, getting a therapist now is popular. It's in vogue, but some years back, it really wasn't. And so on the one hand, we didn't address the, the problems that went with it. It was almost shameful and never spoke of and, and kept quiet and people just didn't want to talk about it much less go see a doctor for it. But as we've moved along, we've also made it, um, it's a—it's true of anything, but we've made it um, bigger than life on both sides. And so when I see a child at 12 years old diagnosed with, um, let's say, um, manic depression, um, uh, bipolar, there's just... Um, takes a while and a big choice of making those diagnoses and we make them so quickly. And so we put labels on faster than I think maybe should be. And, and we, we switch back and forth too easily and too quickly, but, uh, but yes, it can be a, a good and a bad thing that it's so known about now. It's so, it's so vogue and it is so over, um, overrated or over over described and yet it's still uh important that people i'd rather they get to know about it even if it's overdone and leads people to making diagnoses sometimes i'll say to a young patient in my office and now where did you get your degree <laughs> just yeah. so that they know all the information they're gathering may be correct and it may not well, that is interesting and also scary at the same time, because when you do those diagnoses in, for mental health or for mental illness, uh, you know, if you have a diagnosis or for like bipolar or um, a manic depression, the, if they put them on a medication, if they diagnose, diagnose them too fast and maybe incorrect diagnosis and they are already on medication, there, there will be a lot of complications, right? Oh, oh, absolutely. We've kind of taught a generation or two that uh, a microwave fit is best in all things. And so when we now want to want to get better, if we've acknowledged an issue with our mental health and we want to get better, we want it fast. Typically, we want to go numb, numb the pain, if you will. Sometimes for a medication, we want to not feel that pain. And and emotions are neither good or bad. Um, they're informers. I would I like to take time with a patient to teach them that if you don't have the informer, then you don't know where you stand with that. And so I would rather accomplish uh, feeling the emotion and learning how to move past that, use it for what it was meant for. And grow from that as opposed to numbing it and not getting better. Now it becomes a symptom that we're just maintaining or medicating. But if we will, <laughs> yeah, if we will 
not respect the emotions too awfully much, but yet just respect them enough to feel them, see what they're doing for us, and then lead them because emotions are good followers. They're just not good leaders. That's all. Somebody's got to lead them. And um, that's what I like to help patients learn to do. Yeah. I mean, that's great. I want to guide this uh, conversation back to kind of you and your personal clinic and, uh, and your personal patient base. And we heard at your clinic, you concentrate on supporting a lot of diabetic patients, mental health. How did you develop a love for taking care of diabetic patients? Well, I was diagnosed when I was 16. I lived in another country. I married a soldier boy. (laughs) He's still around. He's the one, uh, that's out seeing clients today himself. But 48, more than 48 years ago, I was diagnosed. For a long time, I peed on a stick. I didn't have a monitor. I, I would go to the doctor's office for them to draw my blood to see what my blood sugar was. I mean, I'm, I, I'm the girl back in that day. As time has come along and we've done so well to get the monitoring. And then I was working uh, with an endocrinologist down the hall put my lab coat on just like him. And he was referring the patients to me. And it, I just saw, I just saw a difference the earlier I got in the mix. We all have a team. I don't know how you feel about when um, podiatry gets in the team and what, what's at what state they join. But if, if you get diagnosed with diabetes three months, maybe four months, you have some amenability. Everything there in you is trying. But once you get tired of having to meet those struggles day after day after day, that amenability wanes. And then now as it is, I get patients referred to me at that point. But my desire and my love for the diabetes patient is because I wanted to get in in that early stage. The earlier I can get in, the better. While they have amenability, and we can talk about their brain and their mind and how they can be the leader of it and how they can, you know, all of that, the earlier, the better. So instead of just waiting for people to call and tell me what their insurance company is and, and they saw that I was on the list and they've had six months or a year, or sometimes a lot of years once they've started having complications, um, I just started a love for diving in early on so that we can keep them from dipping out of that amenability stage. Absolutely. And that's what I was going to kind of add in addition to that prophylactic early education. You know, Dr. Shar, that and, and it's funny you say that we as podiatrists, and I think Dr. Lanier would agree, is seeing us early, as early as can be, and being a part of that early team with yourself, the endocrinologist, the primary care, and just establishing that early visit. And, and I always say this, I don't care if you're 22 with perfect type 1 diabetes or 66 with just complete diffuse neuropathy, getting in early to see you, getting in early to make sure your endocrinologist manages it and, um, you know, seeing us for anything and having us as, you know, your foot and ankle care in the back pocket for anything that may be needed is so important. So, I, you know, I completely agree with you. Again, I, I truly say to a lot of these endocrinologists, I don't care if the patient's 20 or 18 or 96 with diabetes, it's good to see a foot doctor. It's always good to have a foot and ankle doc in their back pockets. So. Yes. Yes, I agree. So Dr. Shar, what is the, hard, the hardest part for you being a type 1 diabetic? You were diagnosed when you were 16. Has that affected your mental health? Well, it could. I guess knowing that in my training, I didn't start, uh, I hadn't finished high school 
when I was diagnosed. So I didn't start college probably until I was 30. So I had diabetes a long time and I went to school for 20 years. So I don't know at what point I learned what I'm about to tell you, but somewhere along the line, I saw that at an early diagnosis or years of just letting it go by without an understanding and a disconnect, I think you called it, I learned that there has to be a way to get the understanding. I mean, if knowledge is all we needed, I might could have thought this 50 years ago, but if knowledge is all we needed, we have plenty of it. We can get it at our fingertips. And so it's to get the understanding of how to and how to personalize that and how to know my feet are good, but I'm going to come to my next appointment, not because I'm afraid that my feet aren't going to be good, but I have an understanding of this. And so I know to walk the self-care path. And I believe that I could have been afraid. I could, and I've certainly not done everything right through the years. I've been not been perfect at it. I don't think anybody ever is, but our brain, it's about understanding our brain and our mind. And our brain is subconsciously 90% of our, our, uh, of what we do is in that subconscious part sitting there. And what we believe is how we act. Only one to 10% is that conscious awareness. And so when somebody's foot is, I don't know what condition that they would be in at first, but they don't feel it. They don't feel the pain. Their awareness that it's there might lead them to a doctor. But what somebody told them 20 years ago, they didn't remember, pay attention to or whatever, that awareness is only one to nine percent of our time. So if I can get a hold of people and teach them a skill, not really therapy, but a skill to change the beliefs or decide what is the beliefs, what do you want out of your life? Your brain is given to you. It is there. It is yours. It's just a machine. Somebody has to manage it and you can be the CEO of it. And if I can get people understanding that, then whatever their circumstances are, be it numbers that are outrageous and 200 opportunities to eat a day, and they're not having the ability to, to manage that side of it, or whether it's afraid of the needle, so you don't take the shots regular, or you're type two, and you just didn't ask for this, nobody's going to tell you what you have to do and what you have to eat, and you're just going to enjoy life. All of those things, if I can get a hold of somebody, I believe I've been building this methodology for a long time because I think that's where the key is in getting them to understand. Once they become the leader of their own thoughts, feelings, and words, I believe it changes that brain structure. And then the brain goes and gets it, listens to us more than anybody. And then it goes and gets what we want. And then we can be empowered to live a full life. Yeah, you know, that makes complete sense. You and I connected when we went uh, previous to the podcast starting. And I, and I don't know if the listeners uh, know my story as well, but I am also a type oneer. We are oneers together. Yeah. Um, yeah, go us. Um, and everything you said, I wish I would have known 12 to yes. years ago when I was diagnosed. 
Mm-hmm. Because who really wants to do what we do on a daily basis to survive? Like you said, I wish I would have had someone like you in my corner 15 years ago when I almost, you know, almost had a depressive episode when I first got diagnosed because I thought I was Superman. And then, you know, when I got the, the news that I was a you know, delayed onset type one diabetic, I mean, a lot of things kicked in there. And I was I was having someone like you and, and, and in creating that empowerment and just kind of being that supporter and going through it yourself, I think is so important. And like you said, that's why everything you said resonated and it hit home because though I, you know, had some when I was first diagnosed, had some issues issues with it. But I too had to learn myself to be empowered and take it as a positive and and get control of it as opposed to it gaining control of me. So and it's been a fear to for people. And there's one thing to be afraid. And there's another thing to live in fear. We can wear it out by living in stress outside of emergency situations. People don't know that. And if we could get everybody diagnosed, get that one skill that I've got in a, I'm I'm working on a training program right now for reversing anxiety. But if we could get every diabetes patient, just that one skill in the beginning, that they're the leader. And so it's up to us. And wouldn't it be just an ideal world? And so I thought some years ago when I started talking like this, I would get criticism. And so I backed off. I would get criticism like we finally get issues talked about and we've got to respect it as a disease that people can't help. Well, I just kept on and I backed off and I push another door open and I'd back off. And I'd like to say I have pushed a few doors open, but I know this for sure. It's changing and people are getting the word and the, and the ability to stand and live longer and be happy and be whole. So I'm not afraid of it. I don't let it. um, I don't let it get me down. When I saw my husband's A1C the other day at 5.5, He eats what I eat plus 10,000 times more and different. I mean, he eats, he eats and on at 5.5 and I'm like, turn around and I'll kick you now. (laughs) But, but we can't help it. We didn't ask for it, but I, we can't be victims either to it, but we can't deny the issues involved. And I think there's a pathway to get that understanding into people. That's great. How do you reverse anxiety, though? (laughs) I was was stuck on that. Well, again, you take that brain that was given to you and believes you. And you walk through a path that, again, you don't have time for, but... um, but you walk through the pathway of understanding what to do with your thoughts, your feelings, and your words, and you become the leader. And it's really, actually, I can say it doesn't mean I'm not having as many circumstances as I ever had. Doesn't mean that I don't get angry. It doesn't mean I might not respect emotions as much as somebody else does. Sometimes um, I don't respect them as much as as I see others respect them. But they're informers. They're good for us. And so if we just manage depression, I mean, manage anxiety, we are putting a Band-Aid on it. 
But if we get to the root cause and we don't manage the symptoms, but we go to the root cause and change those things, understand those things, then when we move from strife, when it's not treated and it moves to stress and stress unaddressed, moves to anxiety, that prolonged worry. And 85% of what we worry about statistically doesn't happen anyway. And so when we do all of that, that's harder on me now than being the CEO of my own brain and life. I want that I want that baby to bring to me what I want. And that's what it was built for. It's what it was made for. It's what it's made to do. So I just want to make a comment too. You know, I'm glad we're not doing video because I feel so empowered about what you said <laughs> that I am not anxious eating these Trader Joe's peanut butter chocolate pretzels that I'm eating right now. Um, and you know, you would get that joke because you know that is terrible to eat for me, but they're so delicious that I, like I said, I am so empowered to eat another dozen of them and then I'll stop of course, because I'm pretty much sure I'm finishing the bag here. Well, thank you so much. That was just an amazing hour with you. And thank you for taking your time to come and uh, talk to us about mm -hmm. this. And I, well, we know that we'll have you back on again. This is very helpful for our patients and listeners. Well, I so appreciate being here. And um, I just, everywhere the soles of your feet trod and every patient you have, I just wish you well. Yeah, yeah. Thank you again for for being on. I mean, you provided so much excellent insight, like Dr. Lanier said. So we appreciate you. Well, I am I am privileged uh, to meet you, sir. I have uh, had the privilege of meeting uh, Dr. Lanier, and she has stuck a few needles in my toe. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Literally. But I do appreciate you guys, and I appreciate you asking me. And um, thank you for being interested in that side of uh, mental health. Absolutely. Well, great. So everybody, thank you for listening to another episode of the Med Nation podcast with your host, Dr. Farnan. And Dr. Lanier. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Dr. Charlotte Fry. If you want to hear more conversations like this, join us for our next episode. As always, you can head over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify to hear more episodes like this. If you have any questions for Dr. Fry and or us, check out the links in the description below and feel free to email and connect with us. We love it. That's all for this episode today. See you guys all next week and next time. Mm -hmm.